0: Amen. Last week we celebrated Easter and I, we talked about the resurrection of Christ. We obviously celebrate that every year. It's a central event to our Christian faith. Everything revolves around that weekend when, when Jesus was crucified on the cross and resurrected on the Sunday. And, you know, we celebrate the holiday and we, oh, it's amazing. A man rose from the dead. That's great. Let's celebrate that. But the reason we celebrate is there are many implications from the resurrection of Christ. There are lots of applications stemming from his death and his resurrection that apply to your life today. We're not just remembering an event. We're celebrating a present reality that we experience because Jesus died on the cross and even further down, resurrecting. The significant truths that you and I have to draw from that. And it's so important as believers, as Christ followers, that we know what those things are, that we are reminding ourselves of them and encouraging our faith in them. And I asked this question last week, and I want to keep talking about it this week. And it's this question, what is the ultimate Christian hope? We have lots of different things we hope about, but what is the most central, fundamental, foundational hope that Christians have. Why would people want to be Christian? Why would they want to accept this gospel of Christ? What is the point? Is it just to join this nice social club with all these good-looking people on Sunday morning? I just called you good-looking. Come on, you can applaud or something. Maybe exaggerated a little. What? That's not why we become Christian, although that's of great benefit, the community. God designed a community for us to be a part of. That's part of it. But what is the ultimate Christian hope? And last week I suggested to you that it's the resurrection at the end, where you and I get a new body, where death is defeated for eternity, is our ultimate hope. What what is your ultimate hope? You know, we hope for a lot of different things. I hope to have a good life. I hope to have peace in my life. I hope God provides for me throughout my life. I hope that I have a great marriage. I hope my kids turn out good. I hope that I have a good career, etc., etc., etc. We hope for all these things. I hope that I experience the power of God at some point in my life. I hope to witness revival. I hope to witness healings. I hope to see these things. These are all things I hope for and they're all good things, but none of them are the ultimate hope or the ultimate point of the gospel. The ultimate point of the gospel, I believe, is how it all culminates. He's the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, and the Bible teaches us that there's a finish line we're heading for, an ultimate hope. What is it? I want to deal with an uncomfortable subject with you today and get into more detail on it, and it's the idea of death. The fact that every single one of us, the destiny of every man and woman is that we step across that line From this life to another. That sooner or later this body gives up. It stops breathing. Its heart stops beating. What happens? I shared with you last week, it was my 45th birthday a week ago now. Birthdays aren't always exciting as each one, as they accumulate, you know, and the pile starts getting higher and suddenly it's not quite as exciting as it was when I was a kid. So getting old is something that, you know, we all have to reckon with in some way. And I wonder, what do you think about your own death? Do you consider it? Do you ponder it? I think if you're like me, you sort of just shove it out of your mind because you don't really want to think about it, don't want to face that reality. Unfortunately, my grandmother passed away last week as well. And we celebrated her life on Friday. We had a funeral over in Deer Lodge, and of course, that puts you in a position of having to think a lot about this whole idea of death. That it ends at some point. And death kind of represents and has this illustration of hopelessness. No matter what I do, no matter how good I live, I could be totally wicked in this life or I could be the greatest person that ever lived and I'm still going to die. What's the point? Why should I bother? It's a very important subject, the idea of death. What we believe about it, what we understand about it. Anglican theologian N.T. Wright said this in his book, Surprised by Hope. What you think about death and life beyond it is the key to thinking seriously about everything else. And indeed that it provides one of the main reasons for thinking seriously about anything at all. This is something that Christian theologians should heartily endorse. You know, you've probably run into those people that think all there is is that I'm just a random act of biology in the universe. It doesn't matter how I live. It doesn't matter what I do. So I'm going to live it up while I'm here. Because when it's over, it's over. So I'm going to have all the fun. I'm going to do all the indulgence. I'm going to make myself feel all the good things I want to feel in this life because it ends and it doesn't matter. You know anybody like that? Have you been like that? (laughs) Yes. How, what we, but when we stop and realize that there is a reckoning, there's an end, and then possibly something after, which of course we believe as Christians, then it matters in this life how I live. It matters what happens after that. What do you believe about death? And what do you believe about the life after death? And as Christians, of course, the first place we turn is the Bible to begin to understand. Death, what does the Bible actually teach us about death? Why do we fear it? I shared with you last week, I'm going to share with you again, I share it a lot at funerals. Death is not natural. We talk about death like it is now a normal part of this ongoing cycle that we live in in the world, but it isn't actually original design. Death is unnatural to us. That's why every time we experience it, it's so shocking to our senses. It's You're never really ready. As ready as you think you can be, you're never really ready. Because it's not really part, there's something in us that goes, this isn't right. And you are right. It's not. There's a reason it's here. And it's a sad reality. We're very, we, we don't, we don't. Uh, I don't think we talk about it enough because it's uncomfortable. I think there's a, a very uncomfortable truth that most, I think most Christians don't really know what the basic Christian belief about death and life after it is. I hear all kinds of things. My mom lives on in my heart. No, she doesn't. I think that, you know, so-and-so's in hell or so-and-so's in heaven and it worked this way and that... Listen, what what does the Bible teach? Is that what you base your belief off? I'm going to be an angel symbol in your life or help you out somehow. Does the Bible teach that? Are these concepts that we've thought about, are they biblical? Where did they come from? You know, there's not a lot of people coming back from death to explain this to us. Once they leave, they don't come back. I mean, we have these... Kind of near-death experience stories, I understand that. But the reality is nobody went there and checked it out for a while and came back and reports to us what it's like. We don't know very much. And I think God did that on purpose. He wanted us focusing on our life, how we live for Him in this life. And not wrestling a lot with all the details of what comes later. But there are clues in the Bible. I think we're so afraid of it because it's so unknown. It's so unknown. We just don't know what it will feel like in that moment. I'm considering my grandmother. I'm considering my own life. What will it be like when I draw that last breath and my soul leaves my body behind? Where does it go? Where am I going to go? Am I going to be scared? Am I going to be excited? Will there be angels there? Will Jesus be there? I don't know. I don't really know exactly how it will be. And we fear what we don't know. Grudem defines death as this. Death is the cessation of bodily life and the separation of the soul from the body. Our biblical understanding of death is that the flesh dies. It stops working. It returns to the earth. From dust you came to dust you will return. The biological part of your body will decay and disappear. It goes away. But your sense of being, your consciousness, your soul continues to exist. So, what does the Bible teach us about that? I want to just I'm gonna go through a number of scriptures today and we'll see how far we get. And we're just gonna start talking about this idea because it's so important for us to wrestle with the uncomfortable subject of death. First of all, I want to say this death is not punishment. See, there's a reckoning coming, and we'll talk more about that later. But to die in this life is not God's punishment on you. I think that's really important for us to realize. In Philippians chapter 1, verses 21 through 23, Paul says this, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. Paul's having a hard time deciding whether he wants to go. He's like, if I stay here, I'm going to be fruitful. But I, wouldn't, I don't mind moving on either. So he's not looking at death as some sort of punishment from God upon himself. He's actually looking forward to it. Yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I'm hard pressed between the two. I'm, I'm having a hard time. I'd like to. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. Does that change your view of death? This was Paul's mindset. This is what the Bible teaches us as believers, this hope that we have. Remember, we're talking about the idea of the ultimate hope of Christians. Paul's saying, I would, it would actually be better for me to go. So he's not viewing death as a punishment, but rather a transition. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. There's a great illustration here. Paul says, I have work to do. I want to be fruitful amongst you. While I'm here, I'm going to be fruitful. I'm looking forward to being with Christ. It's going to be good for me when I'm gone. I'm looking forward to it. It'll be, for, for my own sake, it's going to be better. But for your sake, I remain. And I hope that gives us sort of a sobriety about the seriousness of the way we live our lives. Are we living fruitful lives? In our, in our individual, simple, different ways. You know, encouraging our families, strengthening our friends, just being light and salt in the world around us. Because to live is Christ. In this life, I want to live, and I want to live fruitfully. Death, really, rather than being a punishment, death is a, the outcome of a fallen world. Of living in a fallen world. Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin. So I mention this a lot, but I don't know if I ever really show you the passage of Scripture where a lot of this comes from. But death was not part of the picture in creation. But death comes through sin. Because of sin, death exists. We know that, we understand sin to be being out of alignment with God. Mankind joined Satan in his rebellion against God, and we all rebel against God, every one of us. And we're guilty of that sin. And death is the natural consequence of a broken world. It's something that we all have to walk through. It's just part of what the creation has become. In fact, the creation is in this bondage right now, this bondage to death and decay. Romans talks about it. In fact, the, my, kind of my theme verse for this that I didn't mention to you in the beginning, but it's Romans 8.18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed in us. What is the ultimate hope? There's a glory coming, something to be revealed in us. But right now we're in a state of suffering. Right now we live in a world of brokenness. And it's hard. But the Bible promises us a glory that will be revealed. And in the same passage in Romans, it talks about the creation itself basically being a hostage to death, being bound by the consequence of sin. Mankind, as the steward of the world that God made, ushered in this sin, this rebellion against God, and it's causing decay and death in the world. We often want to blame God for that, but we don't need to look any further than the mirror to understand why. We have an authority and a power in creation, and we don't always wield it well. Death is the outcome of living in a fallen world. So, death through sin and death spread to all men because all sinned. Part of that brokenness and that decay, am I depressing you yet? That brokenness, that decay, where does disease and sickness and aging, you know, sometimes you look in the mirror as you kind of start getting older, you're like, or you find a photo of yourself 20 years ago and you go, whoa, what's happening? I'm aging, I'm decaying, I'm moving closer and closer to that transition out of this life and all those things, they they bring a little bit of a sense of grief to us. Injury, natural disasters, all these things are a relatively, I hate using the word natural, but they're a consequence of a broken world, a fallen world, a world that has chosen to rebel against its creator. These are difficult things to think about. When God answers prayer, and he does, God answers prayer. We believe that God, you know, if, if you're hurting And you pray, we believe God will meet you in that. Or we pray for healing for things. We pray for babies and dedicate them and help bless them and send them on their way in life and help their parents along the way. You know, God intervenes and he he is a part of our life. He doesn't always heal. He doesn't always raise the dead. (laughs) He doesn't always prevent natural disaster. He doesn't always prevent our disease. All those things are part of living in this broken world. But when God does answer those prayers, he's giving giving us a foretaste of the glory that's to come, what our future existence will be like. It will be without disease. It will be without, it says in the end that he will wipe the tear away from every eye. I just love that picture because we all know what it's like to grieve and to suffer and to realize that this does come to an end. When God answers prayers, it's a foretaste of the reality we're going to experience. We have a deposit of the Holy Spirit in us now. We have a portion of that now as a a deposit of what's to come. The fulfillment of our salvation, the, the completion of the process. Death is a part of the completion of your process. When we die, we finally leave the old behind completely. When we baptize people in a few weeks, we're going to be doing that representation of death, right? So, so if you're choosing to be baptized, here's your quick one-minute lesson. What you're saying is I identify with Christ. I'm, going to, I'm dying. I'm letting the old go. I'm going to go ahead and step into that resurrected life now. I'm going to start laying hold of that now. I'm going to start leaving the old behind now. And it's a declaration to all the people around you, like, this is what I'm choosing. The old is gone. The new has come. So what happens? I want to look at Luke chapter 23, verses 42 and 43. And he said, and he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Okay, what's going on in this situation? Here we are at the cross. Jesus is on the cross. He's about to die. There's a thief next to him. There's two, actually. And one of them says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Some This thief understood something about Christ. And Jesus responds to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. What do we learn about death? Just a little glimpse. We'll look at more verses here. But it seems to me that you could recognize that wherever he's going, he's going to go there upon his death. That the moment he dies, he transitions. He goes someplace. His consciousness, his soul, goes to a place that Jesus describes as paradise. It's good, whatever it is. It's good where you're about to go. Is what Jesus is saying to this guy? Why he's just confessed his faith. He's just shown Jesus what he thinks and believes of him. And Jesus says, "Today, upon your death, the moment you draw your last breath, you will be with me in paradise." So we learn a little something about death there. Second Corinthians chapter five verses six and t- six through ten. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. If we're in the body, we're away from the Lord. That's what Paul is describing. And then he goes on. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or good. Or evil. I think what, what we need to wrestle with in this passage is that we actually go somewhere right away. I think there's a lot of thinking out there that perhaps you just fall asleep and wait. You don't go anywhere. There's a lot of thinking like that out there. It's called soul sleep. We'll deal with that a little bit more as we go. But he's saying, as long as I'm in this body, I'm away from him. But when I'm out of this body, I will be with him. After saying these things, John chapter 11, verses 11 through 15. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. Here's why some of this soul sleep stuff kind of works its way into people's minds. Jesus is talking to his disciples. His friend Lazarus has died. And there's been a number of days have passed. And he says this, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will recover. (laughs) They thought he's literally saying he's sleeping. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. We see this language in scripture. Paul uses it as well to talk about the idea that when we die, he calls it sleep. And sometimes I think that gets misunderstood the idea that you lose consciousness for an undefined amount of time. But I don't think that's a right understanding of this that we see in the scripture. When, when we talk about sleep, it's our body ceases to breathe and be in the flesh, but it is woken up someday in resurrection. But I don't think it has anything to do with your soul sleeping. The Bible, you know, in talking about, just simply about the thief on the cross, or Paul talking about being present with the Lord. Why, I'm not, Paul isn't saying, I'm going to go to sleep for a while till the end. When I leave this body, I will be present with the Lord, and it will be good. Do you see what I'm saying? I'm trying to get across that I think in the, in the second that you die, you consciously exist someplace else, aware. So when you think about a loved one who has passed away in the Lord, Someone who's loved Christ. You can, un- you can know that their sense of being, their consciousness is with God. And that gives us hope. And it also helps us understand our own journey and the transitions that we face. We know that Jesus went and he resurrected Lazarus. It reminds me of something else I need to mention as well. Like if, we're, if our consciousness, does the Bible teach us about purgatory? Perhaps you've heard of purgatory. It's, uh, it's a doctrine usually specific only to the Catholic Church, the Roman Catholic Church. And it's the idea that there's some place between uh, eternity with God and eternity separated from God that you go to suffer a while longer till you go to heaven, etc. I'm not going to get into that because we don't believe in that. The scripture doesn't teach purgatory. It teaches that To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, or not. It never describes some sort of in-between place where we go, or that there is additional suffering outside of this life that we need to go through. It doesn't teach that. You have one life, one chance, The Scripture teaches. We learn that from a very difficult story that Jesus told. So from reading the passages of scripture, we learn that the, believe, the soul of a believer goes immediately to be with the Lord, whatever that is. Some people describe that's heaven. This is one of the issues we run into talking about this subject is, what do you mean by heaven? <laughs> what do you mean by hell? What do you mean by Hades? What do you mean by Sheol? What do those words mean? And they can be challenging, so we have to look at what the scripture says. We're not going to be able to get to all of them today. So you can be tortured all week wondering about them till next week, right? No, I'd encourage you to dive into these scriptures. Do some homework. Teach yourself something so that you can confidently know in your own heart what's coming as much as you can. So you can have peace. So you can be settled when that day comes for you. In Luke chapter 16, there's a difficult story Jesus tells, 19 through 31. There's a lot of debate theologically about the story. And it's called The Rich Man and Lazarus. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. I just want to pause here for a second. When he dies, he goes somewhere. He goes to wherever it is that Abraham is. You see, Jesus, when he's challenging the Sadducees one one time, he said, He's the God of Abraham, Ham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, He's the God of the living not the dead. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob went on to live with the Lord, and we presume all believers. They continued to live and exist. When Jesus answered the Sadducees' question that way, it just blows your mind. It was very challenging. Anyway, this is, Jesus is telling the story more of, I'm sorry, uh, And the rich man also died and was buried, and in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I'm in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that in your lifetime, that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner, bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. And he said, then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house for I have five brothers so that they may warn them lest they also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to them, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Talk about an uncomfortable story. There's argument about whether this is a parable or not. Is this a real story or is it a parable? Because it doesn't say. And they name people specifically in the story. So Some people argue that this is, this is an actual thing that happened. Don't know. Don't know how to answer that. But what can we learn? We, what do we learn from this? We have to be careful when we interpret things. We have to use good biblical foundations and concepts. It can be challenging, but what do we definitely learn? There's no crossing that chasm for this man. He so wants to go back to his other life and warn everybody And he wants to cross over from this place of punishment to a place of peace. And there's no way for him to do that. And what does Abraham say to him? Even if a man resurrects from the dead, they won't listen. Guess what happened? Jesus resurrected from the dead and still people don't listen. They're not going to accept that reality. And that story. And that future hope. There are challenging things in scripture about this. So I'm not ending on a high note for you today, I'm sorry. I didn't have time to quite get to that. But it really is something that we have to wrestle with. What is the ultimate Christian hope? What does happen when I die? How do I resolve some of these issues, JR? Listen, if you're very uncomfortable with what I spoke about this morning, I'm happy to visit with you about that if you've never really invited Jesus to be the Lord of your life, that you can have the assurance of eternity with hope, then I would love to pray with you today, or one of our elders or our prayer team that will be here would love to pray with you. Don't miss the opportunity to say, God, I want that reassurance. I want to walk with you in eternity. I want to have hope, the ultimate hope of the Christian faith. Lord, we come before you this morning. God, I just ask that you'd be at work in our lives, drawing people to you, drawing us closer to you. God, even as people go out of here this week and they look at your scripture and they do research on many other passages in the Bible about this subject, Lord, that you'd be leading them and encouraging them by the power of your Spirit. God, I pray that you'd be turning hearts closer to you. And God, that the message that comes from our lips would be a message of hope, of ultimate hope in you. Pray that you would bless each one today as they go. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Have a great week.